So, uh, how's everybody doing? Good. Well, thanks for coming. Let's pray and get started. Well, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for giving us all the ability to get here. And thank you for giving us uh, the freedom to gather and study your word, Lord. We pray, Lord, that that you would just give us uh, insights into your word, that you would help us to apply what you say about finances to our lives. Lord, we, we just want to acknowledge you as our Lord. We want to surrender every area of our lives to you. And we know, Lord, that money and possessions are a big area that, that we all deal with, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. We just want to surrender that to you because you are the owner and we are just simply the managers of your possessions. So help us tonight, Lord. I declare my dependence upon you, Lord. I can do nothing apart from you. So please help me to teach in a clear way. And Lord, help us to all uh, just share, encourage one another, and to clearly understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so last week we had two main principles, and I called it the foundational principles for all of financial wisdom in the Bible. And I talked about these two principles being like the two courses of a foundation that we're going to build on this week and next week and the following week. So what were they? Does anyone remember what the two main principles were that we talked about last week? Tim. That's right. That's the first course on the foundation. Everything belongs to God. God owns it all. Everything is God's. And we looked at a number of verses in the Bible that declare that truth. So, all the money in your pocketbook, even though you earned it, it belongs to God. And that leads us then to the second truth, the second course of that foundation, which is? You're a manager, Ed, not the boss. God's the boss. We're the manager. Right. We're the manager or we are stewards, and a steward is is a manager, somebody who is entrusted to take care of somebody else's possessions. So those are the two main points. Now tonight, we want to build on that. So just to give you a little bit of a taste for something that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, one potentially controversial topic that we're going to talk about tonight would be tithing. So let me ask you a question while I'm moving this stuff off of this podium. Um, What do you think about tithing? Is it it a legalistic practice that we should just throw out? Something that the Old Testament told the Old Testament people of God to do and now we're under the New Covenant, so we should just throw that practice out? Or is it a wise practice? Is it something that we should do? (laughs) okay well tithing let me ask you this what is tithing Albert tithing is yeah a tenth part ten percent okay and that's what we're going to talk about tonight JJ we're going to talk about uh, generous giving. And this would be the first principle for us that, to build on that foundation. So before we, before we begin that, though, I just wanted to give you a taste of where we're going. I need to tell you something about our boss. 
something about the owner, the one who owns everything. And this is really important. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. I don't have a handout tonight, Tim. I'm sorry. I'll try to have one for you next week with this stuff on it. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verse 25 through 32. And here we're going to listen to Jesus tell us something that's very, very important about our boss, about God, about the owner of everything. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus is telling us here something that we really need to know about the owner of everything. He, he is generous and he cares about every single one of his children. And that's really important for us to know. Have you ever watched um, the show on TV with Donald Trump called The Apprentice? Has anybody ever seen that show? JJ, you've seen it. And what does he say when he calls them back into the boardroom and uh, he criticizes them and and tells them what a poor job they've done, he points at them and says, you're fired. You're fired. So that's a a stressful, tense time for them when they go into the boardroom. Now listen, it would be very stressful if Donald Trump asked us to be his money managers. If Donald Trump wanted us to be his financial advisors, his money managers, and deal with all of his money, it'd be stressful. We'd be afraid that we were going to be fired, right? But we would need to know what to do. What's he expect of us? Just like those people on that show need to know what he expects of them. In the same way, how much more important is it that we know what God expects of us to be a faithful steward of his money? And that's what we, we began to talk about that a little bit last week. And where would you go to find out what God expects of you, of each of us, to be his money managers? Where do we find that information out? Not Google, Tim. Not Google. We go to the Bible, right. So we go to the Bible and we know now that God is a care. He's not, God is not like Donald Trump. So we don't need to fret when we're managing his money. But it is more important than managing Donald's money. The very next verse in Matthew 6, verse 33, he says something really important that leads us into our principles for tonight. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God 
and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, we've got a God we can trust. He cares about us. We need not be anxious. He's going to provide for us. Now we demonstrate that trust in Him by seeking first His kingdom. And so, this directive to seek first His kingdom not only applies to everything in our lives, but it applies first and foremost to the context of what He's talking about here, which is money. Right before those verses that we read in Matthew 6, verse 25, in verse 24, He said, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So in the, this is in the context of money that God's talking about seeking first His kingdom. In other words, what He's saying here is, you, you put me first, you listen to me, and I'll, you know, I'll meet your needs. You can trust me. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. How do we do that? And so for tonight and for the rest of this class, what I'd like to do is give us ten biblical principles for handling God's money. Ten biblical principles for handling God's money. And we're going to see His wisdom from both the Old Testament and from the New Testament. So we're going to get into the tithing issue a little bit later in the class. But I'll tell you what, this class is called Financial Wisdom. And where do we go for wisdom in the Bible? Proverbs. We, we, we can go to the whole Word of God. We can go to Jesus' words, but we go to Proverbs. So, the first principle, principle number one, is this. And I'll have this on a handout for you next week. But you, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Principle number one, put God in His kingdom first. He doesn't want your leftovers. Put God in His kingdom first. He doesn't want our leftovers. So, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. And, uh, Tim, would you read Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10? All right, thank you. So we're to honor the Lord with our wealth, and then it says something interesting, the first fruits of all your produce. Now, back in the Old Testament, they were mostly an agricultural society, right? So they were growing fruit and vegetables, and they had agricultural crops, and that was what they would give to the priests or give to God's system back then. And in the same way... I think this applies to us. This is a wise principle to put God's kingdom first, just like what Jesus said. So let me ask you this. If you, if you were going to have somebody important over to your house, say the governor of the state and his wife were coming to your house uh, tomorrow evening for dinner, would you break out the leftovers and the Tupperware containers of old mac and cheese and, 
and uh, stinky cauliflower that you open that stinky leftover cauliflower container. It's awful. Would you break that out for the governor and for his wife if they were coming to your house tomorrow for dinner? I, I, don't, I don't think you would. I think you'd give them the best. And God's people have always done that. And what that says is that's just saying to God, God, we honor you. We want you to have our best. And so what God says in this verse is that we're to honor him with the first fruits of our produce. He doesn't want our junk. He doesn't want our leftovers. He's not like the guy at the back of the Goodwill who takes all of our stuff that we don't want. God's not like that. God should get our very best. And so what he said to uh, the priests in the book of Malachi chapter 1, I think it applies to us because God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in Malachi 1, verses 6 through 9, or 6 through 8, listen, listen to what he said. He said, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. So he's talking, he's talking to the priests here in the Old Testament. He goes on and says, But you say... How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we offered polluted how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? So the Lord, what's happening here is these priests were bringing the, the bad lambs, the lambs with a blemish or a broken leg or blind to him. They were offering their leftovers to God. And he says, I should be honored. Now, you might say, you might think, well, this is, in, this is under the Old Covenant. This is in the Old Testament, so let's throw it out. It doesn't apply. But here's what's changed. Here's what's changed. God has not changed. God still deserves honor. God still deserves our best. What's changed is the fact that under the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we're all priests. The New Covenant teaches the priesthood of all believers. In other words, these were the Levitical priests that God was angry with. But under the New Covenant, we've all been made priests. And so we all need to be responsible to give Him our best. We're all going to be held accountable for that And we need to give Him our best, whether it's our time, whether it's our talents, whether it's our money, whatever it is. Albert? Right. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, they were offering these things, some of these things for their sin, but we're going to see that they were also offering other things as well. And you're absolutely right. Jesus Christ, under the new covenant, we, the new covenant is what Jesus has done for us, and now since Jesus died and rose again, we live under the new covenant, the New Testament. We're not under the Old Testament law anymore. And I'm glad you pointed it out, Albert. They came to Jesus 
They came to the Father through these, some of these sacrifices they offered blood for. But Jesus, Jesus died, and now we come to the Father through His blood and His blood alone. It's only through Jesus Christ that we come to the Father. But, at the same time, there were a number of different ways that they, that they provided for God's ministry in the Old Covenant. So you're, you're right. When he's talking about offering bulls and goats for sins, that's all changed. But God hasn't changed in the fact that He, he deserves our very best. And so they would have to offer, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but they would have to offer tithes, several tithes a year. At least two tithes every year, and then another tithe every third year in the, in the Jewish system. And these tithes would be their fruit, their vegetables, their livestock. So they didn't, they didn't have the same kind of economical system that we had where we just have money, basically. And so, whenever this was happening for that purpose, that was providing for the whole system that they had back then, the Levitical system. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but you're right, Albert. That's, it's not for our sins that, that we're giving anything to God. Bob? Mm-hmm. The leftovers, yeah. And that's what he was, that's what God was very upset with them for back in Malachi chapter 1. He was given, they were giving him the leftovers. So, very good. Thanks for clarifying that. So, God still deserves our best. And here's, here's how this principle, this first principle of giving God our, our first fruits, like the Proverbs says, uh, works for just Jane and I in our family, just to give you a, a little bit of practical, how do, okay, what do we do about this? This is how it works for us. Um, we, we don't live in the Old Testament sacrificial system, so we're not, you know, we don't have goats and, and grapes and fruit to give to our church here. Um, but God, it said, remember when Jesus said to, that we seek first His kingdom. Well, His kingdom is... Everything from the local church to his people who are needy, uh, just missions, different ways that God works in this world. And so what Jane and I do, and this is just one example, um, and, and I, don't, I don't say this to, to boast and say, hey, we're doing this, we're getting it all right. I'm just giving you a practical example here. We, we budget uh, from, my, we know what we're going to get from my paycheck, and so we budget where every dollar is going to go. And we have a category where we give a certain percentage to our local church here. And then we have another category where we put money into an account so that we can give um, any kind of offerings to people who might be needy or if the Lord lays on our heart somebody to help. you know, Or we have a compassion international child who... Uh, lives in another country that we send money to to help give, you know, get food and everything for. Um, we might feel led to give to a radio ministry that's been helpful to us or a mission. So, so we've got we've got a, a budget category for that, and we 
that's the most important budget category in our budget. We, that comes, that's number one for us because we want to honor this principle. It comes before even paying the government taxes. Now, I'm not saying not to pay the government taxes because Jesus said to. But it comes before that. It comes before even our food. It comes before everything. If we were so limited, we, we intend to at least give to that category first because we believe that that would be honoring this principle of giving God our first fruits, giving Him our bests, not, get, not giving Him the leftovers. And so that would just be one practical way to apply this principle. So that's how it works for us. Any, any thoughts or any questions or anything that's unclear on that? Well, I'll tell you that God has always been faithful um, to provide for us. He, you know, we... I'm not saying that I don't buy fun things. We go to the meadows, um, saving up for a kayak right now. Uh, I just bought a bike from Bob. I like I like to you know spend some money on hobbies and fun things, but I'm not going to take money out of that first category. I'm not going to take money from God to do that. I do that with the leftovers. I don't give God the leftovers, and that's really important. God should get the first, and so we'll talk. Next, about how much. How much is that? How much do we give God? When do we have enough for leftovers? And that's the second principle. Give generously. Principle number two, give generously. And I don't know of any better example in the Bible of this than the Macedonians. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 if you have your Bible. And we'll look at the Macedonian Christians. Because they were a prime example of this. Second Corinthians chapter eight, and we, we won't read it all tonight. But if you want to know more about this tip, this give generously, this principle, um, read all of chapter eight and nine because it's so rich with this giving generously principle. But we'll look at verses one through four to start off. Paul says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." So here we have this group of Christians with very little. It says in verse 2, extreme poverty. They were suffering extreme poverty. And yet, in verse, in verse 3, they're, they're giving according to their means and beyond. And in verse 4, they're begging earnestly to take part in this giving. Now, here's why they were doing that. This is important to know. Verse 9, if you jump down to verse 9... This is why they were doing that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. 
See, they knew and understood what Albert was talking about earlier, that Jesus Christ, though He was rich, He had everything in heaven. He had all the angels serving Him. He had it, he had it perfect there. It was heaven. He left heaven. He came here to earth. He gave up everything. And He became poor so that we who trust in Him for our salvation might become rich. And that was the driving factor. That's why they wanted to give up everything they had and give so generously. And that should be our attitude. And so oftentimes, you know, we'll ask questions like, you know, if it comes to the tithing issue, for example, we'll ask questions like, wow, do we still have to tithe? And we'll be thinking, we don't want to give 10%. Meanwhile, we have this example of these Macedonian Christians who were probably giving way more than 10% of their income. They were severely impoverished, and yet they were giving and begging to give. They were more like the widow that Jesus talked about who only had two pennies and gave them both. Meanwhile, all these rich people in the story Jesus is talking about are, are given their tithe, they're given their 10%, but it's nothing for them to do that because they're rich. But she, this widow, is like the Macedonians. She's just given everything she has. And so when we... When we ask the question, and we're, we're going to get to it, but when we ask the question, do we still have to tithe, a lot of times we're thinking, I don't, I don't want to give 10% of my income to God. And so, this is, this is who we want to be like when we think about giving generously. We want to be like the, um, the Macedonians. Randy Alcorn, in his book, money, Managing God's Money, says, I only believe in grace giving, the quote, I only believe in grace giving, which people who do not believe in the, the tithe for today, um, he says, I only believe in grace giving. That claim rings hollow if it suggests that God actually expects less of new covenant Christians than old covenant people and less of today's wealthy church members than today's poor Israelites. So, should we tithe? Well, I won't answer it yet. We'll give you a couple more scriptures. Actually, in the Old Testament, like we had talked about a little bit ago, they were required to do several different tithes. So, tithe is a 10% of your income. For example, they were, they were instructed to tithe 10% of their income to the Levitical priests one time at the beginning of the year, another time at the middle of the year, and then every third year, another 10%. So that right there works out about every year to about 23% of their income. Okay. In addition to that, there was another, I don't know what you call it, not a tithe because it's not 10%, another 33% one time, another 27% another time. They were given a lot of money to God in the Old Testament. Then, God required them at different times to give free will offerings. So they had offerings as well. Uh, for example, in Exodus 25, the Lord told Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. All of the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought as a 
brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So this in particular was when they were building the tabernacle. They could, God told them, give whatever I lay on your heart. Bring two-by-fours, bring nails, bring whatever you can bring for this building project that we have going on. Other times, God told them, um, take free will offerings up for the poor. So at those times, it wasn't like a, a percentage. It was just give according to whatever God lays on your heart. So they had all of that in the Old Testament. So they were given a lot. And as I was studying this, um, well, first, I'll, I will tell you that Jane and I, um, we, have, we were taught when we got married 13 years ago that every Christian should tithe. Now, that's what we were taught then. And so we started doing that. We started giving 10% of our income every year. And when it was tight, we would still do it. And by God's grace, we've, we've been able to at least do that every year. Now, here's where it gets tricky. People will say, well, do you have to do that? Like, like in the Old Testament, do you have to do that? We're not under the law anymore, and I, I will not be legalistic about it and say that we have to do that. And there are a number of scriptures that tell us that we're not under the law of Moses anymore. So I will, I will say very clearly that you do not have to tithe to be a Christian. You only have to do one thing to be a Christian, and that's trust in Jesus. That being said, I think in every what I would consider respectable Bible scholar that I studied for this uh, teaching tonight believes that the generous giving that we're called to do in the New Testament far outweighs the tithe of the Old Testament. Here's, here's why some people are saying this. Um, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, for example, in Matthew chapter 5, Go ahead and turn there. I want you to read this if you have your Bible. While you're turning there, um, a couple of the folks that I studied called tithing things like the training wheels of Christian giving or the starting blocks of Christian giving or um, you know, baby steps, how we start to give as a Christian. And I don't think that goes against what the New Testament teaches. Um, and there were a number of people who, who would believe in the tithe in that group and a number of people who wouldn't. For example, uh, one guy, John Piper, he says that we should tithe. Another guy like John MacArthur, he says tithing is not for today. But both of those guys say that what we're called to in the New Testament is beyond the tithe. John Piper says yeah, every Christian should tithe, but that should be the starting place. John MacArthur says, no, we can't say every Christian should tithe. That's legalism. Grace giving is far more abundant than 10%. Here's why. Here's why these guys are saying this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass 
from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus said this bold statement, and then he went on to explain. He said after that, that I'm not going to read it, I'll just paraphrase it, you can look at it on your own, but he said after that, the law said, don't commit adultery. Okay, so the law said, you know, if you're married, you only have relations with your spouse. He said, but I say to you, don't even lust after a woman. So here's what, what Jesus did right there is he raised the bar. Okay, he raised the standard from the Old Testament law. Let me give another example. He said, he said the law says, don't murder. But I say to you, don't even be angry in your heart toward another person. What did he do? Did he, did he relax the law? No. He said, whoever relaxes one of these will be least in the kingdom of heaven. He raised the bar. That's why he said, at the end of that passage I read, that our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so, that's what happens in the new covenant when Jesus when Jesus died and rose again, every person, every child of God, everyone who believes in Him after that, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And it says in Jeremiah 33 and Ezekiel 26, I believe, that what would happen in this new covenant that we're talking about is God would write His laws on our heart and give us the power to obey them. See, in the Old Testament, when God told them to do all these tithes and everything, that was external. There was this code, this law. It was written outside of them. And they had to follow it. And they had to strive to do it. But now, God puts His law in our heart by giving us the Holy Spirit, and He gives us a stronger desire. And if you, that's why you've probably heard me quote this poem a number of times, but my favorite poem of all time says it really well. It says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far better news the Gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. So, now, now God calls us to be generous givers. It's not just about giving 10%. And and I'm not talking about just giving it to the church. I'm not trying to get your money. I'm talking about... Well, here's how it worked out. For example, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, um, let's see, chapter 4, it's not just about giving the church your money. You can give to God's kingdom in a number of ways. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, this is what it looked like. Acts 4, 32 through 35. So here's a picture under the New Covenant, in the New Testament, of what it means to be a generous giver. Here's what it looks like. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, 
See, they got that truth that we talked about last week, that everything belongs to God. It says, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Listen, it's, it wasn't, for them it wasn't just about giving to their local church. It was about giving to God's kingdom in whatever way they saw a need. So they had, if there was somebody that had a need, then they would give to them. They understood it wasn't theirs. The things that they had wasn't theirs. So to me, this sounds way, way more radical and extreme than tithing. I'm not saying tithing's bad. Listen, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. It says that in the New Testament. In Scripture, he's referring to the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament. So I, I do believe that, that tithing or giving 10% of your income, the first 10% of your income, is a good practice. I believe it's a good practice. You're not saved by doing it, but I believe it's wise. I believe it's a good start. But on top of that, if you see that somebody has need, we should be generous with our finances. And here's another example that would fit the picture in Acts. Okay, So here's what we're doing now. We looked at Acts, New Testament, early church. We're going to look at another picture of New Testament, early church. Look in, in 2 Corinthians, and we read a little bit in chapter 8. So jump back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 again. And he, he says, uh, let's see, in verse 12, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so what he's saying here, again, this is with the Macedonians and how they were generous to give to those in need. He's saying, listen, if you have a lot, if God's blessed you with a lot, then we should want to give that excess. Not keep it and hoard it for ourselves, but to give it to others in need. So it's, it's not just about giving to your local church. It's about giving to God's kingdom. I mean, that's why it's good to have, for example, a, a Compassion International child. That's why it's good, for example, to... Um, you know, Mike Hartle's going to Africa here in, I think, August, taking a, a couple of guys from the church with him. And they're going to be helping people who are in need, Christians in Africa who are in need. That's why it's good to do that. That's why it's good if there's someone in the church who's having a hard time to, to help them out if we have extra. And that's what he's saying here. It's not like we're going to have a, a commune and become communists. But we're to help one another out. And we're to 
give, and that's part of giving to the Lord's kingdom and seeking the Lord's kingdom first. That's part of what it means to be a generous giver. So look, look at um, where he goes from there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He, in it, like I said, you can read all of 8 and all of 9, but look at where he goes at, say, let's go to... Go to verse uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. And this would be the key scripture for this principle about being a generous giver. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. See, that's, that's the key right there. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's the key. God, God wants us to be generous with whatever He gives us. He wants us to help others in need. He wants us, I believe, to provide for uh, you know, a place that we have like this to meet, the church building, to, to help the ministries of the church. He wants us to provide for His kingdom, that whole broad category of what God's doing in this world. And when, when we do that, when we do that, it says in verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now, right here, we come to this point where we can start to sound like what I believe is a false teaching that you can find on Christian television, which is they say things like, well, you know, okay, I'm going to pass the offering plates around and you're going to plant your seeds. And you, you, put, you put more money in that offering plate and God's going to give you a Cadillac and a new house and all kinds of fancy things, right? Well, there's, there's a part of that that is straight from Satan that's wrong. But there is a part of that, a part of that that's straight from the Bible. And where, where do those things get twisted and mixed up? And what's true and what's a lie? about that. Look at the verse again. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then he's he's talking about sowing, sowing seeds down in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What, so what is, 
Explain that. What's he saying there? Because this is really the key for why we should be generous givers. Susan? Yes. It's so we can have more to give, not more to get. See, where Satan gets in there and corrupts that is he, he wants to make it a selfish thing. Hey, you give, you give to the church and God's going to bless you so that you can get a whole lot, a lot of fancy stuff. Well, that's a half-truth and a half-lie. You give to God's kingdom and He is going to bless you. It's true, it's clear, it's right there. And it's, it's, it's many other places in the Bible. But it's not for you to get your good stuff. It's so that what we just read back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, so that we can even things out. And those who have an abundance can give to those who don't. He says it right there in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Listen, here's, here's an example of this. Um, I mentioned John Wesley last week. And I mentioned how John Wesley was this old-time preacher from the 1700s. When his house burned down, he said, that's okay, it's not my house, it was God's. So John Wesley had the truth we learned last week, that God owns everything. But I, I, was, I was reading about John Wesley, and here's what I read. It, said, it says, take John Wesley for example. He's one of the greatest evangelists of the 18th century. In 17, 1731, he began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. So here's what John Wesley's doing. He's limiting some of the things that he wants so that he can put it in that budget category for giving to the poor. Okay? So he's not going to buy his... He's not going to the meadows tonight. He thinks, I'm going to save that money and give it to the poor. Now, I'm not going to criticize you if I see you at the meadows tonight. I may even be there. <laughs> but that's just an example. He might have taken something that was uh, entertainment for him, and he wanted to give it to the poor. So it says, in the first year, his income was 30 pounds. Now, this is in England. So his income was 30 pounds, and he found that he could live on 28. So he gave away 2 pounds. In the second year, his income doubled, but he held his expenses even, and so he had 32 pounds to give away. He continued to live on 28. A comfortable year's income. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds, and he gave away 62. In his long life, Wesley's income advanced as high as 1,400 pounds in a year. That's, I think in today's economy, like over a million dollars. So John Wesley was a wealthy, wealthy man. He was making like six figures for years, and then at his peak he was making over what we would consider a million dollars today. But he rarely let his his own personal expenses, what he spent on himself, rise above 30 pounds. He said that he seldom had more than 100 pounds in his possession at a time. And this so, so baffled the English tax commissioners that they investigated him in 1776, insisting that for a man of his income, he must have silver dishes that he was not paying excise tax on, which was the procedure in England. And he wrote them and said, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the plate that I have at present. And I shall not buy any more while so many around me want bread. So John Wesley was all about 
giving to others, giving to the poor, giving to the church, starting orphanages. He was all about seeking first the kingdom of God. And God kept pouring abundantly on him. When, when we do this, when we do this, what God says in His Word, you know, we might think, well, I'm shoveling my income to God, but God has a bigger shovel, and He'll shovel it back into your account. But He won't do it so you can get rich. He'll do it so that you can then be faithful to bless others and give to His work. It's just a, it's a true, true principle. It makes me want to give more. It makes me want to be generous, more generous in giving. Um, when John Wesley died in 1791 at the age of 87, the only money mentioned in his will was the coins that, he, that were found in his pockets and dresser. And most of the 30,000 30, pounds, and I, I read how much that equivalent of that was today. It was unbelievable. The 30,000 pounds that he had earned in his life had been given away. And he said in his diary, I will put a control on, my spend, on, on spending on myself and I will go far beyond the tithe for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And he lived it. He, he tithed in his last year, according to the records in his diary, he gave 90, 98% of his income regularly every year away and lived on 2%. So how's that for, for tithing? Like we, we think, oh, tithing, I don't know. Well, John Wesley's an example of, of how God is faithful to bless us when we give to him, not so we can get rich, but so then we can be a blessing to others. And he definitely, definitely does that. And I don't know... You know, I can't tell you how he's done it in our lives, in my life, but, you know, the the dishwasher that would have broke last year is still running, maybe. The tires that that we have get twice the mileage on our car. I, I don't know how he does it. I told you last time he he provided all that meat for us. He just does it. And, you know, I'm... I, I'm not boasting at all. I'm telling you about God's faithfulness. But, like I said last week, Jane and I have never made a lot of money. And, by God's grace, we, we're completely debt-free right now. We don't have any debt. We own our house. We've paid off all our credit cards. And, I hesitate to say that because I don't want to sound like I'm boasting. But, I'm telling you as a testimony to God's faithfulness that He will do that for you. And, we're regularly looking for you know, ways to bless others. And this is just because we, we believe what God says in His Word. And I'm here to tell you it's true. It is, it is true. He will provide far beyond what you can imagine. So, anybody else have any thoughts or, or any comments or any questions on this? Albert? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> That's great. You've met a lot of famous people, haven't you? yeah. <laughs> Well, what about the, just before we end, what about the, the issue with tithing and, um, you know, that being, is, is it legalistic, is it wise? Do you have any questions on that? Do you have any more thoughts on that? One guy said, he, he, he talked about a lot of the laws and the Old Testament principles and how, you know, what Albert said is true. We are not in any way justified by keeping that. It's only by Christ. But God gives, gave us a lot of good principles to live by in the Old Testament. 
and we don't have to follow them to earn salvation. But he said a lot of them are just really wise principles. And so he said it, it's kind of like the, the newer seatbelt law that went into effect, I don't know, 10 years ago, whenever you had to start wearing seatbelts. He said if they repealed that seatbelt law today and said you didn't have to wear a seatbelt anymore, would we, would we tell our kids, hey, kids, we're no longer under the law. It's, it's not a good idea to wear our seatbelt. We should not wear our seatbelt. I know a lot of you probably wouldn't wear your seatbelt just because you're used to not wearing it from years ago, but it keeps us safe. And so that's a good example of how just because we're not under the law anymore and we don't earn God's favor by keeping his law, we earn it by trusting in Christ, that doesn't mean that a lot of his laws and things, the principles of wisdom in the Old Testament aren't good for us to do. We don't want to throw all that away. We should still live by a lot of those principles. There's still a lot of wisdom in those principles. And so I would agree personally with um, pretty much all of the scholars that I studied who some believed you should tithe, some believed you shouldn't, but I would agree that, that it's, a, it's a good starting place. It's a wise starting place for us. You know, if we know we're going to give 10% to God's kingdom in whatever way that is, that's spoken for. And in addition to that, you know, I would, like the Old Testament people gave other offerings in addition, uh, I would endorse giving other offerings. And you might not have very much, but that's, that's where I think God will, like we said at the very beginning, provide for all of our needs when we seek his kingdom first. So, any other thoughts? J.J.? Absolutely. That's good thought, J.J. And we have an opportunity here in our church coming up in August to support uh, Mike Hartle and Nathan Williams is going, and I can't remember, I think someone else from the church is going, to Africa. I, you know, I can't go to Africa this August, but I can give money to them to help them go there and spread the gospel, and they're going to provide drinking water for these orphans in this orphanage and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ while they're there. So you're absolutely right. Thanks, J.J. Well, let's end in prayer. And Oh, Jane? Go ahead. I'm glad you said that because it reminds me of something Jesus said. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Not, He didn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. He said where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So like what Jane said, it helps keep our heart in the right place when we're giving to the right place. When we're giving to God's kingdom, then our heart's more likely going to be in God's kingdom and seeking His kingdom first, right? So, yeah, thanks. And that's why that first scripture we read, God's not like Donald Trump. He's not going to say, you're fired. He, he cares about us. He gives us new chances, second chances. And Jesus' death on the cross has covered every sin, past, present, and future that we could ever commit if we just trust in Him. And that, it's, I heard someone say, a well-worn path to the cross has no shame. You know, we need to go to the cross daily and ask forgiveness and apologize and ask Him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and that's why He's so great. So, good, good comment. Well, thank you, Lord, for this uh, study of Your Word. And I uh, pray that You would take my feeble efforts, Lord, and just please uh, make some fruit come out of them. Um, and we thank you for everything you said in your word about uh, 
giving to you first and giving generously to, to your kingdom, Lord. Help us to be looking for ways to do that. And Lord, we, we thank you that you, as, as you said, Lord, that you, when we, when, we reap, when we reap a lot of seed, you will repay us, not so we can get good things, but just so we can keep being generous. Help us to be like John Wesley. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.